maybe what's on the other side of this isn't loss of morality, but maybe it's a living within the morality that I have and um, the things that are true that I know are true. If you had told me that I'd be working with gay and lesbian trans and that I'd be prescribing medication to help them transition and to do all these other things mental health wise, if I had talked to myself as a 19 year old now as a you know much older year old, that I would probably be praying for myself. and correspondence about spiritual de- and reconstruction. Season 3, Episode 4, State Change. Hello, it's Kevin, and welcome back. As any of you who've listened to this podcast for any length of time know, we don't really do interviews. What we do is conversations, and those become something like an extended meditation each week, kind of dancing at the intersection between important issues and the human story. Everything is always rooted in the human story. And now, in a season three which is quickly showing itself to be as devoted to process as season two was devoted to embodiment, This episode centers on the idea of knowing we need change and then boldly moving into it. These are human stories like the transitional phases of matter. A lot of what's covered here is about the process of becoming itself. New space giving way to new substance, which is only possible from within that new space. We have a couple great conversations to consider this week. And before we dive in, a few thoughts. Actually, five of them. One, the false promises of fundamentalism are still false promises outside of it. And it can be all too easy for fundamentalism to merely adapt and take on a new form, tricking us into clinging to it even longer in the process. Two, there's probably more fear and binary thinking to unpack than we might have assumed would follow us out. Three, maybe the truly renewed mind is simply one which can make a little more room. Four, being part of a solution on the other side is more complicated than we're used to celebrating, though the work itself is no less meaningful. And five, maybe if eyes are open, there is opportunity where we've been a part of causing pain, so that our regret and our redemption might even share a property line. Hello. Hi, is this? This is him. Hello. This Hi, is Jamie. Jamie. How are you? Hi, I'm well. How are you? Good. Hello. Hello there. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. Excellent. Excellent. Very cool. It's like going outside, getting my feet in the grass. It's like walking right out face my fear like a kick in the ass. Well, we're definitely wanting to 
have more conversations with people for season three that are anchored, obviously contextually, knowing a bit more, would love to hear, you know, where you come from, but we're Mm -hmm. wanting to anchor it a bit more in like where you're going. And I loved, um, the tone or the sentiment of, of what you submitted to us to like have this call of just this, um, basically who I am now is enough for me. And I'm not going to spoil it for our listeners of who you were and what your, what your you know path has been, but yeah. So I would love to hear just, you know, your story and, and hold some space for that. Yeah, sure. Um, I was, uh, raised in church, Southern Baptist and, um, and around the time I was 18, started working in contemporary Christian music. And so it um, music and life and culture and everything was anchored in the church and in faith. And um, around the time that uh, my wife and I were expecting our first child, I um, took a position leading worship and that developed into a 10 year career as a uh, worship pastor. Wow. And um, it was one of those things looking back, I, I think I was always trying to make a square peg fit in a round hole. Oh, I know uh, that feeling were, so, yeah. so well. Yep. Yep. There were always questions. I was always too far to the edge, nearly yep. ready to just tip off the edge. And so there was always a tension. And yeah. um, eventually I ended up moving over to a independent Christian church mm-hmm. and um, served there, which was a little less fundamental in sure. a lot of ways. And again, I think seeking and trying to find a place where we could fit and um, and so did that for a decade. But there was always, you know, looking back, I would say living with attention, knowing deep down I don't belong here. I don't buy it. And I remember within the last year that I was still in ministry, standing on stage one day leading worship and, and wondering like, what are we doing? Yeah. Like what, yeah. what is this? Cause I'm, I kind of think if there is a God, he doesn't care about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how could, how could that God care about that? Like how could that be something on actually on a benevolent God's radar that we're all spending our time hanging out with each other, just thinking about him and like singing yeah. to him when there's so much else that we could be doing. And I feel like any God worth believing in would kind of be like, get the hell out of here. Go, like, go, yeah, go do exactly. stuff. <laughs> like, go listen exactly. to what I actually told you to do, you know, arguably. So, yeah, I feel that. Yeah. And during that time, I think I started searching and seeking more. And really, you know, I think anybody who is so entrenched in fundamentalism, when you mm-hmm. start looking at the Bible with, I think an intent on just understanding it and just reading it. Um, I I came to a few conclusions in that last year that, um, number one, this God isn't real. Number two, if he is real, he's a real jerk and he's also a liar. Yeah. And number three, if he is real, maybe we got this all wrong. And, and I started to land there and, um, Within that last year, they voted to remove me. There was a guy coming in who was very entrenched in mainstream fundamentalism. And, and so they removed me. And so I began this journey away from it. And, and I guess I would call it a divorce um, yeah. in that I knew I had to separate myself from this. Um, I started to see it less as my identity and more as a tribe that I was a part of, that wow. it was centered around who was in and who was out. And yep. 
so what we do have is a church community that can exclude, include, and it yeah. separates me from you. And yeah. I thought, okay, so I know I can't abide here anymore. And obviously, as anyone who grew up in the church, I thought, well, what waits on the other side of faith right. is uh, complete lawlessness, <laughs> lack of despair. morality. <laughs> yeah, I figure I'm, I'm going to be divorced in a year. Right? My marriage will fall apart and yep. my kids will all have a drug problem. Yes, and I'll have a drug problem. Yeah, Everyone's I'm, just I'm, suddenly obviously. on drugs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's what people do outside of the church, right? And right. instead, that fear went away to know my deepest held morals I was sacrificing to be there, mm. um, believing in the the holiness of people of wow. all yes. genders and all yeah. orientations and races mm. and those things that were so precious to me. Um, you know, believing that, you know, if we can help, we should instead of asking people living off Social Security um, to scare them into giving 10 percent of what they don't have right. to pastors making six digits yeah. and these things that seem so wrong. I thought, well, maybe what's on the other side of this isn't loss of morality, but maybe it's a living within the morality that I have Ooh, and yes. um, the things that are true that I know are true. Yes. And so that began that process. And, um, you know, in that journey was a lot of despair, a lot of, mm -hmm. um, I think, for one, coming to terms with the fact that I was a part of a system for a long time um, that qualified people based on their actions and their orientation. Yeah. And and I was a part of a system that taught very hurtful and harmful yeah. doctrines to people that were, were never meant to be taught that way. Yeah. Um, and, and if they were, then we shouldn't be teaching them anyway. Yeah. And so I it, it, I kind of had to come to peace about last summer with the fact that, you know, at the time I did the best I could with the information Absolutely. I had. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I never meant to hurt anybody. I yeah. never meant to my gay friends, to my wife and my daughters yeah. um, that were always less than a white male in yeah. this system. Um, I, I had to come to terms with, you know what, I, I tried to do the best I could with the information yeah. I had. And as I had more information, I just couldn't abide here anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I would probably start with where I am now. Okay. Um, I, I am a physician assistant. I work in a predominantly um, LGBTQ focused clinic. Mm -hmm. It's in city medicine. Um, we also have HIV population and hep hepatitis C, suboxone, helping those deal with opioid addiction. And also that includes harm reduction, which means that you know, we don't penalize for certain things and making sure that everybody can get help. And mm -hmm. so I think the the funniest thing I was, I was having breakfast with a friend this morning and just talking about my journey and kind of where it's been taking me, but to tell, and I, my, my thing I was laughing about was if you had told me that I'd be working with gay and lesbian trans and that I'd be prescribing medication to help them transition and to do all these other things, mental health wise, if I had talked to myself as a 19 year old now as a, you know, much older year old, that I would probably be praying for myself and mm -hmm. be like, I was just super shocked about it. But my day really entails a lot of talking about gay and lesbian issues, and especially in, res in regards to Christianity. I have a lot of patients that are former church kids, youth group kids. Mm -hmm. A lot of my patients are around my age. And so they all grew up in youth group culture, purity culture. 
And I just sit back and marvel about where I am because it's like where I was first counseling kids to not be gay. And then I'm now counseling kids and how to navigate through being gay or lesbian, trans. Wow. So I guess with those two tent poles, what led from one to the other is the, the big question there. Oh, well, so I started PA school. I, I was married at the time. We left the church just because we were just not really happy or really not finding what we wanted. I had a gay friend who, um, you know, we were like, you know, we were out of church and we were like, yay, we're out of church. But, you know, still was really holding on to the ideals of, or not even ideals, but just like fear of just being like, if I, if I really buy into this, if I really go, if I really am not going to church and if I buy all in, you know, I, I come from like evangelical culture will say, it's like, okay, if you, if you agree with this, if you buy into this, then you're cursed or something else is going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend, when we were studying one day for class, she said, you know, we were talking about it. And I said, well, you know, I grew up in my background and she started to tear up and she was like, well, and I said, why are you tearing up? And she was like, well, because I don't want to go to hell. And she's like, I don't think anybody else that I know who's gay or lesbian wants to go to hell. And like, I don't understand why anybody would choose to do that. She's like, I didn't choose to be this way. Mm-hmm. And for, you know, and I've, we've all heard that same discussion. But for me, I think it was just so much more poignant because, you know, this is somebody that I knew personally. This is somebody that I would have drinks with and talk with. And to just to see the anguish on her face, mm-hmm. it just meant so much more. Like it meant something to me to just question and be like the, the questioning that I had to be like, well, God, if you had made this person perfect in your image and in your eyes and then to see her anguishing this way. Mm-hmm. There's something that just doesn't connect here. There is a there is a disconnect. For a lot of us, it does take that to be that sort of near person to humanize the issue and find empathy. And then you kind of feel bad a lot of times that's, that that was the case once you look back on it, you know. But I think at the same time, when you're coming from an environment that specifically taught you not to have that empathy and to dehumanize certain yeah. folks, that's the hurdle and for some people only being only having a, a flesh per, and blood person in front of them can really change that because it's it's indoctrination in the other way for so long and you had been pretty deep in in like not just being a church but you were in leadership or you did bible college or something like that i did i went to a very you know steeped in the old timey type like like 1830 style like this Bible college has been around for a really long time. Part of the the revival that had happened in the 1800s, mm. like this place has a lot of history. And you know, for a young kid finding meaning and finding belonging, to belong to a place like that, you know, a place where you know you could be happy and belong, you know, meant something to be part of something, right? And I, you know, I did youth ministry. I did um, ministry in New York City, homeless outreach. I worked there for about a year. One of the things that we primarily did was we reached out to homeless women and domestic violence victims and also people working through addiction. You know, it was just a lot for somebody that age. And then around the same time, back in where I worked in New York City, there's a lot of young gay kids out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was really hard to talk to them about, you know, the saving grace of Jesus Christ when, you know, somebody's trying to pimp them out or somebody's like, they don't have any food or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. pe- people would see you and just be like, well, I don't really want to talk to you or have anything. You don't have anything to say to me. Yeah, so getting lot. back to that, then the 
the trajectory that led you from, I guess, those things starting to open your perspective and then to helping from the other side, which is amazing, actually. <laughs> we talk to people of all different professions, you know, obviously, but the most common work that I think we see people doing now on the other side is in some form of social work, in some form of uh, mental health and wellness, some form of re- rehabilitation. And it's amazing to see how many people are doing the work yeah. on this on this side of things. So, so yeah, what was some more of the process that led you to that? Um, back in my Bible college days, I had always wanted to, like I had felt the pull towards medicine. I'd have wanted to do medicine my entire life, but just didn't feel like I was good enough to do it. Mm. And was I wasn't smart. Like I just really low self-esteem. And I just gave up the entire idea, went to Bible college, but the, but the, um, the drive and the desire to help people on a different level never left And I just didn't know. I just thought it was ministry. Then I was like, well, I just do ministry, you know, Hey, but I wasn't, I wasn't really getting what I wanted out of it. And it actually wasn't until maybe 10 years after I left Bible college that I'd gotten really sick. I'd gotten to be very ill and had multiple surgeries, uh, like 10 and decided um, to really seriously pursue medicine only because I saw that people that looked like me being African-American, people that were ill, people that were mentally ill were not being treated very well. And, Mm. you know, there wasn't really anything that they could do about it, but it was like, it was more than just like personal interactions with, you know, from doctor to patient where I was like, this person is personally discriminating against me. It was more systemic and Mm. it was more Mm -hmm. like, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, if you see that on a systemic level, and I think that's what initially drew me to that because being through the healthcare system for so long, I was like, wow, I really think I could really do some good here. So I took a chance and applied and got in. And it wasn't until I had been on uh, one of my rotations in um, inner city medicine that I really felt like that I had done something for people that look like me. Mm. Because African Americans or people of color are vastly we're underrepresented in every in almost every field. Yeah. But it's really, you know, in healthcare, it's you know, for PAs, physician assistants, it's like two percent of the population. So there wasn't a lot of people that looked like me. And I found that if I worked and worked with people that looked like me, I could get um more respect and that I could get farther. And so that's why I chose the field that I did. Well, and there's for I'm sure for them having a lot of your same experiences, there's an element of safety there. Yeah. feeling seen that probably didn't exist yes. before. Yes. It still uh, has its challenges. I think, you know, a lot of it is that there's a lot of mistrust of, mistrust of providers anyway. And there's a lot of mistrust in, you know, I'm sure you've seen, there's a few articles in the Atlantic about just um, different parts of the country that have doctors that don't listen, et cetera, et cetera. And so mm-hmm. I still have an uphill battle, just like every other provider out there. Mm-hmm. I just think that, you know, I didn't stumble on the unique, the uniqueness of my job until much later, like a couple of years after that, where, you know, now there's a whole new wrinkle of, I have a whole new patient base of LGBTQ youth that are lost and sad and struggling that also have a subset of Christian kids that are, you know, church kids or the kids that I had in my youth group that I'm sure that I, at one point were ministering to. And telling them, and that's the like the thing that really hit me really hard when I first got there was that I am sure that I had at one point dismantled their belief in what they were feeling inside, you know, because that's what I was 
told to do and felt that I should do in order to protect them, but really I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And that now on the flip side, I sit and listen and we talk and I say, I get it. I understand why you feel that way. Um, because we that have um, been involved in the Christian community and now are no longer in it, um, we gravitate towards these fields is because we just we understand the sense of the sense of loss, but we also we understand what we've done also. Focus on the feels and you change the course. Turn the feet back up when you can see the source. Order it up and every bit of this could be yours. I need a stay so fascinating thinking about I love everything you're saying about like and I'm paraphrasing but this idea of I almost had to suppress my morality to continue to be inside of the system that's claiming to be the sole source of morality and you had all these inclinations towards I love that you said the holiness of people I love that so much like just the utter sheer sacredness and holiness of humanity and like all these inclinations towards it and and yet that system like yanks you back and tells you like nope that impulse is incorrect that impulse is sinful like they're isn't anything waiting for you on the other side apart from destruction. And it's so fascinating to me how, I mean, of course they have to tell us that when we're in it because they don't want us to leave. And of course they have to tell us like, don't become friends with folks who aren't Christians because what they, what they know, or maybe they don't know. I don't know. Maybe they're like convinced by a system that's harming them too. Who knows? But what I have found is that I understand in some, on some level why that story is being perpetuated because mm-hmm. when I not only when I started speaking to people who've been on this side for a long time and then also now being one of those people I'm like it's so good out here. It's like yeah. life is out here and in some sense I don't really know if I feel this way necessarily but I have talked to many people who feel this way where they're like you know what I followed Jesus out. Like that's what happened to me. Like, you know, or people saying that's what happened to them. Yeah. In some sense, I think that's how I probably would have framed mine at some point. Again, I don't know if that's how I feel now. I don't know how com- compelled I am by the person of Jesus or not, but it's really great to not need to know. I will say that. That's really nice to not yeah. have to like have an answer prepared. But for so many people that I have spoken to in my client work and just friends where they're like, I couldn't stay. My love for what I was what I was compelled by the whole time I was there, my love for that. Like you're saying, like if, if what was set up inside of that system is really what is like, what is supposed to be going on there, it doesn't deserve to be happening. So, so many people are just following their impulses towards their true self and towards the divine and leaving the institutional church. And I, I love, Mm -hmm. I love the way you're putting that. And especially for someone in your position who does, who has, you know, occupied those positions of privilege and also you are a leader. And so, I mean, you lose a lot to leave, but it sounds like you've found a lot in your leaving. I I did. And, and what, you know, I guess the way that I would frame it as a divorce is that I never wanted to become one of those people who was militant against anything anymore. That it's not, I guess, coming to peace with the fact it, it's not my job to convert anyone to one line of thinking. And, and, and I, I do, you know, there were people I encountered the first church I served at the pastor there, um, was just an upstanding guy. He was so sincere and, and I, I don't agree 
with his interpretation of Scripture more and his basis for it. But I look back, and I believe he was sincere. And then I encountered people um, who I don't think gave a second t- thought to what they were doing. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not my job to do that anymore. Yes. I, I don't have to uh, run the check marks down when I have a conversation with someone. Oh, I don't such have a relief, to, isn't it? <laughs> you can just yeah, be oh, in the present a, moment with a human relief. person. Yes. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, um, and, and that's why I guess I look at it as a divorce and that I, I can take what was good about it. I can look back on, um, when, growing up as a kid, the, the morality and the community of the church was a positive thing in my life and yeah. for my family. And when my wife and I were starting our life together, uh, that was an anchor for us. And, and then at a point in time, it wasn't anymore. And yeah. so I can live in the grade that, all right, this doesn't work for me, but if it works for you and you're still there, that's great. Don't hurt anybody. Don't hurt anybody. Um, yeah. Don't don't tear down the goodness of anyone because they don't, you know, check every box. But if that's working for you, that's okay. I I guess I can learn to live in the gray, which is extremely hard when you're coming from a fundamentalist background and also a Calvinist background. Oh my God. um, Oh, wait a minute. I can take some responsibility for my own actions. I'm not just a pathetic worm waiting on a divine intervention to do the right thing. Like I can take some responsibility and I can do this. And what actually I found on the other side was community, a, a deeper relationship with my wife, um, with friends to where our lives were not compartmentalized as much as they were before. Mm. And it became more open. It became more honest. It became more free. And and those relationships started to give life because it wasn't my job to convert anyone anymore. Yes, I, totally. I could see what wisdom they had and yeah. where they were. And 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 a piece in not knowing, you know, I would I would say that I'm an evangelical atheist and then I wholeheartedly <laughs> reject that God. But yeah. at the same time, I'm, you know, do embrace um, a lot of the teachings of Jesus. Yeah. And, um, and and I and I do because they were so opposed to the system I was in for so long. They were alarmingly opposed to evangelical God, which is what's very fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, it it is, because I think at the core, I want to believe that people who are still there are doing this because they truly believe it and Mm. they are sincere. But underlying all this is a system and a tribe, and those are always going to lean towards the self-preservation. Yeah. And yeah. so if you start to challenge that, if you start to have a question that isn't a neat answer and you can't get the the Bible to behave just the way you want it to, Oof, yeah. then they're going to choose between the system or you. And it's always going to be the system it and it's going to be, be the preservation. And, and you're right. And, and I think that allows us over the past year and a half of working on my, my thesis where I've been diving into these realities, it, I started in one place and I landed in another. My fundamental argument is the same that like these teachings are traumatizing, but Mm -hmm. I let up on the culpability a bit of the individual people that I had felt had harmed me because I came Mm -hmm. to this point where I was like, oh, everyone's just trying to survive. 
And there is a part in, in all of our brains, like it's just a very fundamental part of being a human person and being alive that we will lean towards self-preservation. So if someone feels like, and this might not even be on a conscious level, but if someone deeply feels like they're getting some sort of survival signal from themselves that says, we can't leave here or we won't be okay, how can I expect them to respond differently? You know, so it's, sure. I, I, I even ended up writing in my introduction to my thesis that I was like, I had to learn nuance. I had to learn, which is the ironic part of, I didn't, you know, I didn't realize this, but in some ways I was swinging from one fundamentalism to another where before I was like, we're right. And everyone out there is wrong. And then when I first left, I was like, oh, now I'm right. And everyone in there is wrong. And I've had to learn, like, it's not that simple. It's not that black and white. It's much more complicated. And in leaning into letting it be more complicated and be more gray, it has absolutely allowed me to lean out of judgment and lean out and lean away from this. Um, and it's fair that I responded with pain first, but I've, I've been yeah. able to hold more space for you're a complicated person just like me. And I, and I'm, I'm just curious now, you know, more curious than, than controlling. And I'm like, I, I wonder what makes yeah. you tick. And, and, and I wonder how much compassion I can release to you to just let that be okay. If that's what makes you tick. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? You sometimes have to leave the church and Christianity or any religion to actually find grace. Yeah. Oh my which, God. Which uh, as a Baptist oh, was the, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we love grace. Yeah. Right? I was um, a Southern Baptist too. So I get that. Yeah. Oh. But that's where I found most of it was outside of it that, um, Absolutely. you know, the last time I led worship, I knew, um, a friend of mine had asked me to fill in for him last Easter and, um, and his church was full of uh, just decent, justice loving people. And mm-hmm. so I said, okay, I'll do it. And I, I also knew going in that this will be the last time that oh, I do this. Oh. And, and I did it and, and I felt good to close that chapter. And I went home and wept and wept wow. because I, I knew that a chapter of my life was closed. And in the same way that I think someone gets divorced, they will always be somebody who was married to that mm-hmm. person. That'll always yeah. be a part of your story. Yeah. And and that moment allowed me to not hate that anymore, to wow. not um, leave any part of it open, and to take what was good with me. There were yeah. there were many things that uh, were good about the church and were good about that community. I can take down the road in finding God or nothing yeah. on the other side, and and I guess there's a freedom in knowing that whatever I find. I don't have to shove down anybody's throat anymore. Yeah. There there may be nothing and and I leave that open. There may be mysticism, there may be all these other things, but when you're in a fundamental place and you are somebody who always had to know the answers and and you had to study these thoughts, getting outside of it, one is gray and it's scary. Yeah. But at the same time you I don't think you have to discard all of it. And, right. and I guess the yeah. best analogy I could come up with is uh, that Christian theology gives great language to things, to emotions, to thoughts that we may not have. Yeah. But it's like taking a pebble uh, from the bottom of the Grand Canyon and putting it under a microscope <laughs> and examining every part and telling everyone this pebble is the Grand Canyon. Wow. Well, there's some truth in that. It sure. is. It's a part of it's it. It's a part of it. But yeah. It's not all of it. So some people can pick up that pebble and take it home and say, it's beautiful. And this is my Mm. piece of it. And this is the Grand Canyon to me. And other people might look at it and think, what a stupid little pebble and throw it away. Some people might stub their toe on it and hate it and (laughs) curse that. But 
it's a part of it. Yeah. And so I guess I want to zoom out and get somewhere around the top to where I can see the Grand Canyon. Yes, yeah. Uh, I don't have to reject that that pebble's a part of it. That's okay. And if that's the whole Grand Canyon experience. Yeah, I don't want to shame people if that's enough for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. That's okay. But don't go throwing that pebble at anyone and hitting them in the head, please. Oh, my God. Perfect analogy. (laughs) (laughs) So do you feel in a way that your, your desire to continue down that path and go this route is in a way kind of a redemption for maybe some previous regret even um, or at least confusion over where you used to be? Yeah, I think the redemption story that I find for some of these, I, I believe that that's true. I just think that it's just so much more than that because we've just like walked through the pain of leaving the church and kind of figuring out what next. Like mm-hmm. when I left the church and really like made my complete break, like I can felt, I felt like I had just like what I've listened to a lot of your other speakers say that they just lost a part of themselves. Like everything that you were taught about yourself to believe in yourself right. was, right. it no longer applies to you. Mm-hmm. Everything that you believed is no longer true. You are no longer protected. You are no longer safe. You no longer have any value the umbrella of protection that you once had is gone now. Mm. And like that was the part of the grief, knowing that you had to kind of reinvent yourself Mm -hmm. and even the fear of what that means, you know, they don't really do a very good job of preparing you for what it's like when you lose everything, you know, or your faith is wrecked. And, you know, I had been kind of stalking Derek Webb's posts for a while and saw about, you know, what what he went through with the divorce and just how he kind of worked through that. And just remember feeling the same where it felt like I had been ripped apart and just like body pieces, mm-hmm. you know, just that type of raw imagery of just you're still just like broken up on the ground and just trying to like put yourself back together. But realizing that, you know, you'll never look the same again and you'll never be the same again. Mm hmm. And I think out of that trauma is kind of now where you're finding a lot of the people that work in the places that we work or even this podcast where it's like, okay, I'm going to make sense of my own universe and then help people make sense of their own universes Mm. and giving meaning to yourself and then giving meaning to others and helping them see through the kind of the shit they're going through as well. Mm. Yeah. So with your work and and you mentioned all sorts of different folks you're working with and uh, and different things they might be dealing with. What is the hardest part of that work currently? What's the, the thing that is the most difficult, the most trying day to day? To tell you the truth, I the thing that makes me so tired right now is is the mental health. Like it is just it is just so much. And I do primary care. So that means primary care means you do everything, right? Mm-hmm. You're the counselor, you're the psychologist, you're the psychiatrist, you're the the care manager, you're the doctor, you're the family advocate, you're the everything. And you don't really have a choice because if you want it done in a timely manner, you have to do it all. So when I tell you when um, we are now seeing in primary care across the country, I think it's safe to say the mental health diagnoses, they're coming out faster and people are coming out with more complicated mental health issues in the last couple of years since Trump was elected hmm. than before, or at least I'm seeing it more. 
especially in younger people. Mm-hmm. When you have a trans patient tell you that they're afraid to go to sleep at night because, you know, they don't feel safe because of Trump being elected or they're afraid they're going to be deported back to wherever their country they're from mm-hmm. or you know, you have a 16 year old patient who is being sexually victimized by an older person and you're trying to find them a place to live. Those are kind of the taxing things that you're like, okay, I need to just take this bag off and just leave it at the door Mm -hmm. and be in my safe space and be in a safe place. I mean, where I live, there is, you know, our opioid uses, the opioid use around here has gone up like 2000%. Wow. Like I've lost at least five people this year Hmm. and I'll come back, you know, from vacation and somebody else will be gone. Hmm. So, and I don't, and I don't mean to make it sound so hopeless. Like on one point, it's really difficult, you know, it's hard, but on the other point too, it's like, it's, it's also rewarding to see people that didn't necessarily engage in mental health care that now are taking care of themselves. Kids that were once in situations where, where people were using them or they were getting beat up, leave and be able to go into a safe place. It's just that you are in every bit of that process from beginning to start to finish. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's for like 500 people. Right. So that makes the the defeats and the sad parts because you're seeing the entire picture so it makes that part worse but i would imagine it makes the victories sweeter too exactly so so that would be the second part of that question which is what have you fought hardest for that you are that you're most proud of now that you cling to most tightly that that you find the most beautiful day to day what is what is uh, inspiring you every day i think just the idea that for me personally everything that i've gone through everything that I've learned through my life, everything that I have gone through personally, physically, you know, emotionally, it inspires me to be a better person and to see what I can do. Mm-hmm. I know that there are certain things that we all go through that either can defeat us in one part of our life, but also make us stronger. And that makes me excited about the future and about the future of healthcare, the future of this country. And where, you know, it'd be really easy to be really hopeless about where things are it really actually really gives me hope because I'm seeing so many people that are younger that are actually doing things that are really standing up and really taking notice. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's a longer way of saying like I inspire me, I guess. And the way that things are in this country about younger people also inspire me every day. Mm. Yeah, I agree. It's really (laughs) neat to see people engaged before they're 30. <laughs> I don't think yeah, I know. I don't I know. think I don't think we've seen it in our lifetimes till just over the past few years. So Not at all. I mean, but think about it. The civil rights movement and all these other grassroots movements were like this is history repeats itself. You know, this is um what you're seeing in the 60s with the freedom riders and when you're seeing like all these grassroots movement SCLC and this is today. You know, we need good ideas and people are doing it. It's just coming from younger people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the kids are all right. Ah, they are all right. <laughs> They're doing some good stuff, I guess. <laughs> kids along my reservations, I'm playing this by ear on a higher frequency so everyone can hear. Bringing everything with me that 
there is this permission to just let yourself decide what is enough for you or even what mm-hmm. is not enough for you and you want more. And, and then there's also that, that permission to not need someone else to have the same opinion of what's enough for them. But it doesn't, yeah. you no longer have this need. You no longer feel this very fundamentalist need to be like, no, that pebble's not it. I need you to come over here and see it because it truly might be enough for someone. And, and sure. someone also, it truly might not be anything that they're interested at all, um, interested at all in. And, and yeah, there's just so much freedom to just let people be people and let people find the meaning that they desire to find inside of their circumstances. And that mm-hmm. gets to have nothing to do with me. And it's beautiful. <laughs> it's just yeah. the release of this pressure and the embrace of this, the beauty of this curiosity and, and individualized meaning. It's, it's, I'm not afraid of it anymore. And it's so good to not need to be afraid of it anymore more. Yeah, it, it really is. There, there is still the moments. And, and I, I think anybody who leaves a lifetime of something and, and not rejecting it, but knowing that isn't the whole story, there are moments where there is a loss. There yeah. is, um, a deep sense of grief. There yeah. is regret. There's all these things. And I think, you realize in this journey that you're not alone in that, yeah. that there are other people who are walking the same path, who are still trying to find truth, to find meaning, some explanations in life. And and it is difficult for me to admit that where I'm at today, I may have a completely different opinion tomorrow. I, I may have a different experience, this other thing from, but nothing's my enemy anymore. Reason yes. is not my enemy. Fact is not my enemy. Science, history and, and even the mystical experiences that happen in day-to-day life in these yes. moments where you're like, this is special, holy, divine, whatever this moment is, is something unique. And and I don't have to reject them. I don't have to take all of them with me. But um, it, it is, I think, sometimes scary to say that, all right, where I'm at today, I'm, I, I may be in a different place tomorrow, and that's okay. Yeah. Yep. That, that freedom... It can simultaneously feel really exciting and really scary, but I think, <laughs> I think there's no other option. I think that's just how it feels to be a human. Um, mm-hmm. and I think the, the difficulty of fundamentalism is that it tries to promise us otherwise, and that ultimately causes pain. And so I think, you know, and like you said, there's, and we'll have to unfortunately end on this note. It's been such a pleasure yeah. to talk to you, but Same. I think what you said, it was just, I mean, this idea that like, everyone's doing it. No one's ever done anything differently. Even the stories that we've developed about our religion is us always, we've always just been trying to figure it out. And so there's this freedom in this camaraderie and this like large human community, um, that we can see in what other, every other individual person is doing. We're like, you're trying to figure it out like me. And there's, and, and you're, you're afraid of a lot of the same things I'm afraid of. And you feel excited by a lot of the same things I feel excited by. And if we start there, and kind of come together on that common ground in that space, we no longer need any sort of judgment or um, pressure for someone else to, to pick our thing or like our idea um, or believe what we claim to believe. It just gets to all be mystery. And that yeah. actually feels so exciting and very freeing. Yeah. It does. Mystery's beautiful that way. I know. I love it. I'm glad you found it. And I'm glad I found it too. And I'm glad we found each other in that space. It's beautiful. Yep. Same. Is there anything else that you know you'd like to cover or say? Yeah, I, yeah, I um, I guess I just wanted to say that 
to struggle to find a place of belonging after church was really difficult. Just like, oh, I'll try this church. I'll try that church. You know, let's see what works. Let's see what doesn't work. And I think I'm now just starting to become comfortable in the last couple of months with just finding community outside of church that actually has some sort of spiritual connection. We actually up here have started a group for people that like Christian deconstructionists, I guess, Mm -hmm. where we just get together and we have some sort of meditation and we just talk for an hour or two and then we just eat cupcakes. Mm -hmm. And that that part alone has just been so nice to have that community again. I really Mm -hmm. miss it. And I'm hoping that people reach out to people. People are feeling the same way you are. Right. Because that community becomes so much more precious exactly. when you are when you are creating a place of belonging for those who don't belong, and right. seeing that in what in the work you do and and even now outside of that, I think that's really crucial. Um, you know, holding space for people that don't necessarily feel safe or seen or cared for anywhere else they go, I think, is the most important thing we can do on the planet. So. It's a beautiful thing to see, and I think a lot of people on the other side of the ease of community that exists when you just belong to a denomination or a creed, finding those people, they become precious, they become sacred, and your own belonging and your own part of that community isn't about what you do or don't believe, but it's about that you're safe to examine that together. It's encouraging always to see so much more of that happening, and people are like, ah, so I don't Mm -hmm. have to do this thing, but I do still need to be with people and I need to figure out what that means for me this is something I talked about when I when I shared my own story at the end of last season but um, for me a lot of the grief set in when I realized that I no longer had this foregone conclusion that everything was going to work out and be okay yeah Uh, yep but the thing that's led me to I think and and for a lot of others is the same is that means that I really need to be intentional with who I am and what I believe because whatever it is I believe that I embody is going to help create the world I want to see. And so I I can't count on it just magically happening apart from who we are. And so I want to be a part of a better us, you know, and, uh, and, and that's why I pointed out the, the most common profession of people I hear from now being people who work in various forms of uh, health and restorative therapies. And I think that's such a beautiful uh, a beautiful signpost that, you know, people aren't just leaving flippantly, they aren't just changing who they are flippantly, that they really are trying to do something with themselves and make something of their lives that's that yeah. brings healing and that helps people. To see people turn their backs on each other is just devastating. Mm-hmm. And so now, and within the gay community, we're seeing like the same thing where it's like, you're having these life groups, I like, you know, call them where on thir- Sundays they're getting together to cook dinner, they're chilling with their friends, you know, stuff that you would do if you were going to church. Mm. And I just think that's so interesting. Or they get together and sing, like doing stuff that you would, you know, youth group kids would do, mm-hmm. you know? My biggest desire would be, and the thing that would motivate me most is just to see like a greater push towards mental health within the Christian community Mm. and within like the LGBTQ community coming out of Christianity or whatever, whatever you choose to do, there's got to be more mental health. There has got to be Mm. because we are just not prepared and it has to be not just, 
you know, blah, 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 we're talking about it like for five minutes. No, it has to be like an actual structural program that actually is implemented with some sort of something. It has right. to be intentional. It has to be community based. It has to be something where people can go to just lay it out and just deal with it and get healed. Mm -hmm. That does exist. And those are things that we need. Mm. So, yeah, I'm done now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. This was such a delight. And yeah. um, I hope that someday we'll get to share another conversation soon. That'd be great. Thank you so much, Jamie. You're so welcome. Enjoy your day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Uh, thanks for this. Hey, <laughs> thanks for this. <laughs> Seriously. Thank you. And like I always say, I love getting to know people a little bit on Skype. It's a very interesting way to meet. So thank you for sharing your, your work and your passion. And it really means a lot to me. I know it'll mean a lot to everybody else. So thank oh, you. Exciting. Thank you so much. All right. You have a great day. You do the same. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, that's pretty much it for this week. Check out the Airing of Grief on Patreon to get brand new mixes of Derek's music each Friday, dropping throughout the season. There's a few of them up there already, along with dozens of other bonus conversations and episodes that we have exclusively there. Our producer Derek's music and information on his current series of live online concerts can be found at DerekWeb.com. Our producer Jamie's work can be found at jamieleefinch.com. You can find the airing of grief on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and maybe let us know what state changes are going on for you and how you're chasing them down. And otherwise, we'll just see you next week after church for the airing of grief.